Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Pirelli tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. I think that everything surrounding the NBA is an absolute charade. There are, I mean, of all the sports that are out there, all right, of everything that we pay attention to, the NBA regular season matters the least. I can tell you right now, as the NBA gets ready to start, the NHL is ready to go too, right? The NHL is a vastly superior playoff to the NBA. Now, I will watch more of the NBA because I like basketball more than I like hockey. And because like everybody out there, by and large, I grew up playing basketball more than I grew up playing hockey. But I can tell you right now that literally any of the 16 teams, in theory, could win the NHL. How many teams can actually win the NBA? Three? Maybe? I was looking at the odds. Like, you can bet on who's going to be in the actual title game without even needing to know who is going to be, uh, who is going to be advancing, right? Who's going to win the title? Right now, uh, offshore, Cleveland versus the Golden State Warriors is plus 345. Toronto versus the Golden State Warriors is plus 368. Cleveland versus Houston is plus 469. And Toronto versus Houston is plus 498. One of those four matchups is likely to happen. And then there are two more. If if you really want to be aggressive in thinking that the 76ers are going to make a run, they are plus 1250 to end up against the Golden State Warriors. They are plus 1620 to end up against Houston. There's virtually no chance, according to the odds makers, that any other game happens. And that's, I mean, you would make a lot of money betting on Philadelphia right now to win their way through. And so my biggest issue with the NBA is everybody's like, oh, the NBA is awesome. The NBA is so entertaining. 
No, it's not. Not if you care about winning a title. If you care about winning a title, there are really two teams that would be massive favorites to win championships this year in the NBA. And they're probably going to meet in the Western Conference Finals. And it's going to be the Warriors or it's going to be the Rockets. So if I'm Mike D'Antonio, I totally kind of understand his perspective. They won over 60 games. They have gelled together in a way that I don't think anybody thought they would in the preseason. And yeah, it would kind of stink if they lose a seven-game series to the Golden State Warriors. It's still, I think, a successful season because you're one of the four best teams. You have put yourself into a perspective to potentially win a championship. And if you don't, it could just be a uh, you know made three or missed three that ends up defining your season. And so I totally get what he's trying to do. He's trying to limit the pressure on his team by talking to them in public and also ratcheting down the significance of, once more, the NBA regular season. But look, think about this. This is why I think the NBA is going to have trouble taking the next step. People are like, oh, the NBA's got such a great future. Uh, They tripled how much money they're going to make from TNT and ESPN. But if I tell you right now, of all the sports that you watch, the goal is what? Get to the postseason. When we start every sport, your goal is, well, in NFL, what do you want to do? You want to win your division, host a home playoff game. If you don't do that, what do you want to do? You want to go to the wild card. 12 teams make the NFL playoffs. All 12 could theoretically win the Super Bowl. Wouldn't be a stunning result. Wouldn't shock you. Major League Baseball, what's the goal? Win your division, make the playoffs, or make the wild card. Every single team that makes the Major League Baseball playoffs could win the World Series. What's the goal in the NCAA tournament? Get into the tournament. Once you get into the tournament, anything can happen. Yes, Villanova was the best team, and they won it. But did anybody think that Sister Jean's Loyola of Chicago team was going to legitimately be in position, potentially, to play for a national title? No. Everybody was like, I totally... Uh, I'm not surprised every year, whether you're George Mason or whether you're Loyola of Chicago or whoever you are, the odds of you winning a title are just tossed out into the mix and there are 68 teams and anything could happen. Hell, even VCU could make the play-in game as they barely, barely make the field team and then make a run all the way to the Final Four with Shaka Smart. Anything can happen in the NCAA tournament. Well, what about the NHL? Last year, we saw the Nashville Predators come in as the number eight overall seed in the Western Conference, upset immediately the Chicago Blackhawks, make a run to the Stanley Cup final, and be tied 2-2 in the final Game 7 series and be almost on the very razor's edge of forcing Game 7. They lost in six to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Every other sport that we care about, every other popular sport in America, whether it's the NFL, whether it's Major League Baseball, whether it is college basketball, whether it is the NFL, everything that we care about in major college athletics, the NHL, everything, major college and pros, is about anybody having a chance to win, except the NBA. And now they're going to spend multiple months breaking down what's going to happen in the NBA playoffs. And frankly, I just, am I the only person out there who finds this to be a major flaw in the way that the NBA is created? 
maybe if the NBA had one less round of the playoffs, if instead of 16 teams making the playoffs, you play 82 games to eliminate 14 teams. And the bottom eight teams that are going to make this playoff have absolutely no chance to win championships. So other than television and other than making the playoffs extend for two months, why does the first round of the NBA playoffs exist? If only eight teams made the NBA playoffs, would it be more entertaining? Think about college football. Think about how hard it is to make the playoff. I think eight teams should make the college football playoff. But making the college football playoff, being one of four teams, is almost impossible. It is so difficult to pull that off. Can you contemplate how difficult it would be if suddenly... 32 teams made the college football playoff. Regular season wouldn't matter that much. I think eight's the sweet spot, but four, it's insanely difficult. And we know every single of those four that make it are going to have a good shot to win the championship. So that's my issue with the NBA coming to a close uh, and the idea of the playoffs. They can't sell the illusion to everybody who's a fan out there that your team has a chance to win a championship. To me, a quality of an overall sport that exists ultimately comes down to if you make the playoffs, what you are selling to someone is your team has a chance to win a championship. There is legitimately a 0% chance that many of these teams could win a championship. The Milwaukee Bucks, it ain't happening. The Miami Heat, it ain't happening. The Indiana Pacers, it ain't happening. Maybe Philadelphia, like I said, worst case, most outside scenario. The Boston Celtics with the Kyrie Irving uh, injury, it ain't happening. Toronto, we'll see. Nobody believes in Toronto, even though they've won 59 games, even though they're going to have home court advantage. Maybe, to be fair to the Cavs, the fact that they just sleepwalked throughout the entirety of the regular season and are going to finish either 51-31 and 31 or 50-32, and 32, maybe to the Cavs' credit, their second-round series and their first-round series could be a little bit entertaining because we're not sure whether the Cavs are any good. So instead of being the one seed and playing an eight and sleepwalking their way through the first round, immediately they're going to have to be ready when they go up against, in theory, the Indiana Pacers. Remember last year's Pacers-Cavs series was pretty, uh, pretty competitive. Now, Indiana had Paul George then, but we'll see what happens in the Western Conference. Everybody's like, oh, it's such a big deal. Who wins between Minnesota and Denver? Why? So they can get waxed in the first round of the playoffs? Why does that matter? Oklahoma City, no chance. Spurs, no chance. Pelicans, no chance. Trailblazers, no chance. Utah, no chance. Why do you care? I don't know. I care about my team making the playoffs if I believe they can make a run. Maybe. Maybe on the very outside edge, if your team is so young, you want them to get in so they can just get some playoff experience. But does playoff experience really matter in the Western Conference when Golden State is going to be good for the next four or five years? It ain't like Steph Curry's retiring in two years. It's not like Kevin Durant's about to hang up the sneakers. I just, I don't buy into it. So I'd rather watch the NHL it starts tonight because anything can happen in the NHL. The downside is the NHL 
I didn't grow up playing it. I don't know anything about it in the grand scheme of things. And unless you grew up playing hockey, odds are you probably don't either. But the NHL head-to-head with the NBA is the vastly superior sporting way to spend your time if you care about entertainment. And the reason why we watch a sport is so because we don't know what's going to happen. Sports are male soap operas. We know exactly what's going to happen in the NBA, which is funny. After we talked about WrestleMania, and every time I talk about WrestleMania in the WWE, people are like, that's scripted. You know exactly what's going to happen. Well, the NBA's not scripted, and I know exactly what's going to happen. It'd be better if the NBA was scripted, because they could come out and throw in some upsets every now and then. It's also funny to me when you criticize uh, the WWE because it's scripted. Yeah, so is every television show that you probably love. So is every movie. That doesn't mean it's not entertaining. Ugh. Fired up. Um, by the way, also fired up. I had a coach. Uh, I'm one of the coaches for seven and eight year old baseball. I got a story for you when we come back. I got to tell you about coaching seven or eight year old baseball. First of all, late night game. Late night game for seven or eight year old baseball. I'm going to be an old man. They get home till nine o'clock. Seven, eight year old baseball game. Uh, I turn around and get up too early. I'm coaching. I know what Tony Larusa feels like. Late night game. Got to get up the next morning. Be ready to roll. Uh, we'll talk about all that and more. I'm Clay Travis. It's out. Kick the coverage. This is Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price list, price, and invoice. TrueCar shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some of you guys are funny. You make bad arguments. Your brain does not work as well as mine. So I will dismiss your arguments in a heartbeat here. Jose Flores says, you obviously forgot the Nuggets defeated Sonics in the eighth seed versus the first seed. You dumb. Pointing out one upset in the history of the NBA. When, by the way, there were only five games being played, does not invalidate my argument. I remember to give Tambu rolling around. I also remember the Golden State Warriors before they were any good beating the Dallas Mavericks. That doesn't mean that the NBA playoffs are good. It's a bad argument. Bad argument there. This argument by Clay Travis, says Bronco Maniac, is hilarious because the NHL champion has won the last two years, LOL. Actually, I think in the last 25 years, the NHL's best team in the regular season has only won nine times. Nine times in uh, in uh, Ferris Bueller parlance. If anything, you can argue that's a flaw of the NHL that there is so much uncertainty when the playoffs start that the team that was the best through 82 games has actually only won the captain's trophy winner. I believe I'm correct in this. Has only won nine times in the last 25 years. The Nashville Predators are the favorite to win the Stanley Cup this year. And they're something like four and a half or five to one. They start tomorrow. The NHL playoffs start today. You can be an NBA fan and not need to argue that there's actually any drama in the NBA. The entire regular season doesn't really matter that much, as the Cavs have showed us, because they're a prohibitive favorite to win the Eastern Conference, even though they're slotted in pretty much as the four seed. LeBron James and company are just like, yeah, we got to play 82 games. We really don't care. We're going to lose 30 of them. 
and then we're going to get to the playoffs and advance to the finals. That's what Vegas is telling you is by far the most likely outcome. Now, maybe, maybe all the ESPN executives are going to curl up in the fetal position and start crying because out of nowhere this year, maybe the Cavs lose in the second round because right now they're slotted to play the Toronto Raptors in the second round. Maybe the Cavs will come out and get beat by the Pacers. And then I'll have to come in and I'll have to say, you know what? Usually we don't have any drama, but LeBron James's team just got eliminated in the first round. In theory, anything could happen. But in actual practice, if you look at the last 20 years of the NBA, there's almost no drama. The best teams advance and you end up with kind of a worthless run through the playoffs. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to talk about the playoffs. It's great theater to have all the different games going on. But I think it's the biggest flaw that exists in the NBA that there is no real drama once you get to the playoffs. Again, every other sport, you make the playoffs, you can sit back as a fan, and you can daydream about what needs to happen in order for your team to win a title. Eli Manning can get insanely lucky and make a couple of big throws, and the Giants, as the wild card, can win twice when they barely make the playoffs to begin with. Think about it. NFL, you could pick any number of teams that have barely made the playoffs and gone on and won the Super Bowl. And if you're one of the 12 teams that makes it, you feel like you have a shot. Now, the truth may be, Blake Bortles may not get on a run and be hot. But guess what? Blake Bortles almost got to the Super Bowl. Nick freaking Foles came in with five games left in the season and the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And the Eagles were an underdog in every game that they played in the postseason. Talk about Major League Baseball. I don't even know that it matters whether you're a wild card or not in Major League Baseball. You just got to get in. NHL, like I said, Nashville Predators, eight seed in the West, almost won the Stanley Cup last year. Only in the last 25 years, I think I'm correct about that stat, last 25 years, only nine times has the best record, the best team in the regular season, the team that's won the captain's trophy, actually won the Stanley Cup Finals. It's such a, considered such a, uh, such a, you know, like, great, unbelievable superstition that if you touch the captain's trophy, you're not going to win the title. That's how superstitious hockey fans are. I was at the game on Saturday. Nashville Predators got that captain's trophy. People were like, don't touch it, don't touch it. President's trophy, what I call it, the captain's trophy. See, that's what I'm talking about. I'm close. Captain's trophy, president's trophy, it's all the same. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. College basketball. Make the NCAA tournament. You can have a run like Loyola. Lots of different teams have won that you would have never anticipated. VCU's in the play-in game. They make the Final Four. George Mason, nobody knows who they are. They make the Final Four. All sorts of upsets. College World Series. Hell, if you want to go into into college baseball. No idea what's going to happen when that tournament starts. College football playoff. You know how hard it is to make the playoff? All of those sports... If your team makes the playoff, you can win. I know there's some NBA guys on this show. I know there's a lot of NBA guys listening out there. It's a big flaw of your sport that there are 16 teams that are going to make the playoffs and like three of them can actually win the title. Jason Martin, defend your league. This is this to me is by far the biggest flaw of the NBA. I'm willing to accept 
an 82-game regular season, which is far too long. Just like I'm willing to accept 162-game regular season baseball, which is far too long. The NFL, by the way, and college football, only two sports where people say, you know what we need? We need more of this. We need more regular season. We need to eliminate the preseason, have more regular season games. College football, we need more games. Nobody out there is like, you know what we need in the NBA, Major League Baseball, hockey? More games. But at least in hockey, Major League Baseball, when you get to the playoffs, you have the opportunity to actually win a title. I'll let you defend it, but first let me bring in Eddie Garcia find out what's shaking the world of sports. Well, Clay, in the NBA, it was the second to last night of the regular season. Sixers beat the Hawks 121-113. to That's 15 wins in a row for Philadelphia. Jazz crushed the Warriors by 40 points, 119-79. to Rockets get their league-leading 65th win of the season, meeting the Lakers 105-99. And the Wizards down the Celtics 113-101 to in a possible first-round playoff preview. A couple of baseball games of note. Red Sox rock the Yankees 14-1. to Boston off to a 9-1 start of the season. They've won nine in a row. And the Mets are also 9-1 on the season. They've won seven straight after beating the Marlins 8-6. to six. This report's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing. Not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And also Clay in the NBA. Golden State Warriors star Kevin Durant has decided to opt out of his contract for next season. He'll be an unrestricted free agent. He will be uh, turning down a salary of $26.2 million for next year. Last year signed a two-year $51 million deal that included the opt-out clause. Now I will say this. And uh, and Eddie Garcia probably agree with me. The NBA free agency is more entertaining than the first round and the second round of the NBA playoffs. Agree or disagree? Uh, well, I'm not going to agree with that because I'm a huge hockey fan. I, nothing in the NBA is more interesting to me than the NHL playoffs. So. Did I say the NHL playoffs? I meant the first and second round of the NBA playoffs. Oh, okay. Y- yes, I will agree with that. Sorry. Zero doubt. All right, let's bring in. Uh, let's bring in Jason Martin. That's a flaw of the league too. When it's more like there's going to be more interest in where LeBron James goes, and I don't think Kevin Durant's going to go anywhere, but at least in theory he could. There's going to be more interest in that than the first and the second round of the playoffs. Agree or disagree? Oh, I would agree. I mean, Kevin Durant's coming back. I mean, the story, he's just restructuring so he can make some more money because last year he went down in salary so that they could keep Andre Iguodala. But when he made the decision to go on July 4th a couple of years ago, that was more entertaining. The, the fallout of Kevin Durant's decision on where he was going to play than the first and second round of the NBA playoffs have been over the past several years. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I'm, so, not, I'm not trying to defend some of the series that are early in a lot of these playoff runs, not, not by any stretch of the imagination, but I can look through and see some fun stories, some things that are going to be interesting to watch. Utah's really young, so they're probably not going to be ready yet. But that might be the hottest team in the NBA. Philadelphia is winning without Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid could be the best player in the league in two or three years if he continues and is able to stay healthy. And then I look at the story that that I mentioned off the top, which is there are two teams since 2000 that have not reached the Western Conference Finals. The Hornets and the Clippers. And those two teams have one thing in common during a lot of that time, and that is Chris Paul was on those two teams. So I look at that, and I look at James Harden and what he has not been able to do, and I look at Mike D'Antoni, who's had all these great offenses, and what he has not been able to do. And then I listen to that coach say, it doesn't matter whether or not we win the championship, and it just gives me further reason to pick the Warriors, which would back up your point. I believe that the Warriors will still end up in the finals and will still win it all because I don't buy into LeBron's Cleveland team this year. But, I mean, I can look at some of these stories. I guess I just, in general, like the NBA game more. I don't know what the difference, in my opinion, in 
games that don't matter in the NBA is as compared to lower teams in the SEC playing football that I don't care about that are not going to end up in the college football playoff because I don't care about any bowls outside of the four teams that end up in the college football playoff anymore. So, I mean, I think every sport can can fall into that. Maybe the NBA falls into it a little bit more, but at but least at the least personalities are fun to watch. that in college football, the guys are going to try their hardest. They may not play well. They may look like crap but they're only going to play 12 games. So every one of them in college football is, by and large, really important to the overall championship picture. And I think that that's why the college football playoff should expand to eight, because there are a lot of people who are fans of college football teams. If I'm listening right now, and I am a fan of Minnesota, and if I'm listening right now, and I am a fan of Arizona, and I'm a fan of, uh, let's say, uh, NC State, you know, I'm just, and I'm not trying to take shots at those programs. And also, I'll throw in Ole Miss, right? I mean, just a bunch of programs that traditionally don't win at a very high level. What are my chances to make the college football playoff when there's only four teams that are going to go? Mississippi State hasn't won a SEC title since 1941. The odds of Mississippi State making the college football playoff are pretty low when there's only four teams that are going to go. But, you know, you saw what they did with Dak. If they had an eight team playoff, I'd feel better about that. I think that's the flaw of the college football playoff. Having said that, this is actually, I think, an intriguing question. Is it better for the NBA in the long run if LeBron James and the Cavs got upset in the first round of the playoffs in the NBA this year? Or if they lost in the second round to the Raptors? Wouldn't that be better for the long-range future of the NBA? Because then people could point to me and say, you know what, the regular season does somewhat matter, and then so do early rounds of the NBA playoffs. Because I'll tell you this, if the Cavs run through in five games or four games in the first series, and then they go out and they dominate the Raptors in the second round, I'm going to sit back and say, why did it matter that Toronto won 60 games? Like, this was a total false season that I was buying into, the precept that it really mattered. To me, the NBA would actually benefit if LeBron James and the Cavs lost in a huge upset early in the NBA playoffs. I don't think it matters as much in the Western Conference because if the Rockets, who you said you may not 100% believe in, if they go out and lose and Mike D'Antonio's team doesn't advance, like you said, Chris Paul hasn't had a lot of success. James Harden hasn't had a lot of success. That just opens the door for the Warriors to advance with ease, I think, to the Western Conference uh, Finals and then also to the NBA Finals. There's still two really good teams is what I'm getting to. If the Cavs lost unexpectedly, it would blow up the entirety of that uh, of the NBA, and people might be able to argue for once, well, maybe the regular season does matter. Maybe the Cavs trans- didn't translate and suddenly take it to another gear. Wouldn't it be good? Or, in your mind, is LeBron so important to the overall storyline of the NBA that nobody would have any idea what to talk about if suddenly coming out of the Eastern Conference was a team other than LeBron's? Uh, I would think, actually, at this point, maybe I have a little bit of LeBron fatigue. Obviously, he's going to mean the most for the ratings in the short term. 
But the best thing for the NBA is for somebody out there to be able to believe in the Raptors, where I can't because I've seen them go out in the playoffs when they've been really good in the past, and I've picked them, and it's burned me. So until I see them actually win, I'm not going to be able to pick them and feel confident about it. If they were able to get it done, if the Sixers were able to somehow make it to the conference finals or make it to the NBA finals or one of these other teams, I think that would be much more interesting on the eastern side. On the western side, I don't think that there's enough interest yet in any team outside of Houston or Golden State that's really going to move the needle, even though Utah and Portland are definitely really good basketball teams that are going to be fun to watch in years to come. Minnesota is as well. It's not time yet. On the East, I think it's different. Boston probably out of it at this point. I think that they could really use Toronto actually taking that one seed all the way to the NBA Finals because it would back up the fact that the best regular season record and the idea of them having home court advantage all the way through the playoffs would help them out. So I I honestly think that someone other than Cleveland making it would be better for the league long term, even if it wouldn't be as good for television ratings this year. What about you guys in L.A.? Good or bad if LeBron's Cavs get upset in the playoffs and aren't anywhere near either the Eastern Conference Finals? I think if they lose in the Eastern Conference Finals, it's not as, as, you know, like a jarring surprise. But if they lost in the first round or they lost in the second round, good or bad for the NBA? For the NBA, I mean, it's probably not the best for the NBA, but personally, and maybe a lot of other people feel the same way I do, so in that retrospect, maybe it is good for the NBA. I'm a LeBron hater, so seeing him get eliminated early is is great for me, and, and I you know, I'm an NBA fan, so I find a lot of other things and different teams to, to, to root for and to, you know, have interest in. So it's not all about LeBron, but I guess if if you're the casual NBA fan that doesn't really know the players on all the other teams, then that might be a bad thing if all of a sudden LeBron's out. I think it's an awful thing for ESPN. They got that disastrous new morning show that nobody's watching that's tanking in all respects, costing them millions of dollars. Their executives would curl up in the fetal position and cry themselves to sleep for two months if the Cavs lost in the first round of the Eastern Conference. I believe I'm correct that ESPN is going to have the Eastern Conference playoffs. They would have no idea what to talk about. That show, they, you know, that show's desperate on the early morning show for ESPN. On day six, they had to break out LeBron versus Michael Jordan. Now, I'm not saying we're above LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. But it's like, should Pete Rose make the Hall of Fame when you come to sports topics? Like, you got to break the glass on that in July when there ain't nothing else going on. And you're like, it's somebody like me, and you sit down in front of this mic, and you got three hours to talk, and there's literally not a single story out there. That's when you break the glass. Danny G, good or bad for the NBA if, uh, if LeBron lost in the first or second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs? Definitely bad for the NBA. Not, not just for the networks, but... For the NBA fan, for the casual fans, because the playoffs and then uh, the finals is where the casual fans start watching the NBA. And he's still the king. He's still the best player on the court. I know he bugs Coop and a lot of other NBA fans with his personality and his sound bites off the court, but on the court, he's still the best player. Here's the deal, too. Uh, I feel like the Raptors are maybe the most disrespected team in major American pro sports. I feel like nobody has any belief in the Raptors whatsoever, and I think part of it is because they're from Canada. I really do. I think this is a disrespect from Americans to a Canadian basketball team. I think if the Toronto Raptors were in, let's say, not very far away, in Detroit, 
people would respect them a lot more. If the exact same team that's on the Toronto Raptors were on the Knicks, people would be like, oh, these Knicks are really good. The Raptors are the most disrespected team in American pro sports because they're a Canadian basketball team. I mean, I firmly believe that. I I feel it a little bit. I'm like, yeah, the Raptors, they have the best record. They're not going to win anything. They play in Canada. I mean, I I feel like that. Everybody else out there, I feel like a lot of you are nodding your heads. It's a disrespect based on geographic location. If the Celtics had the exact same team as the Toronto Raptors, everybody would be enthralled with them. If the Lakers had the exact same team as the Toronto Raptors, they'd be like, man, these Lakers are good. I'm telling you, don't sleep on these Lakers. The Knicks, people be like, hey, basketball is back in New York. So Raptors, everybody's like, eh, they suck. They're in Canada. They're not going to win anything. Um, all right, I got a, a, a story for you. My seven-year-old, I, I teased it earlier. I'm going to hit it for you this time. By the way, if you're following the show Roadmap today, hour two, we're going to talk with Jeff Schwartz. Hour three, my guy Jason Whitlock's going to hop in. It's going to be a lot of fireworks by hour three, I promise. But those two guests uh, are set up here for Wednesday edition of OutKick if you want to go download the podcast. My seven-year-old played his first game with a scoreboard last night in Little League Baseball, seven- and eight-year-old baseball. Uh, And he had an unbelievable line as we got ready for the game to start. I'll tell you what it was next on Fox Sports Radio. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? Tax Slayer was highest rated for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at taxslayer.com. So I'm coaching uh, seven, eight-year-old boys Little League uh, baseball. And this is the first year that we've had a scoreboard uh, and actually kept score. Coach is still pitching everything else. I'm the third base coach. Uh, and I've had all sorts of issues with the kids, like just not paying attention to the third base coach. So I'm, you know, trying to figure out how aggressive can you be as third base coach to get your kids' attention um, and uh, and how much can you yell at them like, hey, look at me, run. Um, but – Right before we take the uh, the field for the game, I'm you know telling my kid, hey, this is really awesome. This is your first game, uh, like big boy baseball. We've got the scoreboard. You know they're going to keep score. We'll know what happens. And uh, I swear to God, my uh, seven year old says, Dad, Nick Saban says not to look at the scoreboard. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a kid who has bought. I mean, this kid is it's amazing how much different their experience in the world of sports is compared to yours or mine. Because you or me, uh, if you're around my age, and I just turned 39 last week, or if you're even within a decade of my age, you probably grew up putting on SportsCenter, watching to see whether or not your team won. You may, if you're older than me, I'm like right at that linchpin. You may even remember listening to your team regularly on the radio when it wasn't an option to watch on TV. Maybe a lot of you in L.A. still in that situation over the television uh, rights battle uh, with the Dodgers. But you got up early enough to check the newspaper to see what happened, all that stuff. My kids wake up now and they go check and see whether or not their team won by asking Alexa, which is amazing in and of itself. Like I never would have believed the evolution of technology that their first thought, my boys, when they wake up is not even to get on the Internet or even to get their iPads and go to a website. It's to walk downstairs in our house and ask Alexa who won the game. And then Alexa comes back and tells them exactly who won the game for games that they have to go to bed before they're over. For instance, tomorrow the NHL playoffs start. The the, the uh, Nashville Predators, their local team, is playing against the Colorado Avalanche. 
So the game doesn't start till 8.30 local time, 9.30 Eastern. They'll be asleep way before that game actually ends. So the first thing they will do on Friday morning, both of them, is get up and go downstairs and ask Alexa what happened in that game. But it's also amazing how much they watch YouTube. And if you've got young kids, you know what I'm talking about. They would rather watch guys play video games almost than they would watch the games themselves. I don't even know who these people are. There's some guy called Yo Boy Pizza that they would rather watch play Madden than actually play Madden themselves. It's it's unbelievable. And as part of that, when they get on YouTube, they have unbelievable recollection now and the ability to access every game that's ever happened. So my seven-year-old, I mean, he's seven years old. He has watched every major game, at least the highlights, that Nick Saban has coached at Alabama just by going down a YouTube hole. So I'll come walking up, and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm watching the Rose Bowl game from 2009. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. You know, you or me, if we were a fan of a team, any games that predated us, we might see a clip of it every now and then. Maybe there was an old VHS tape laying around. Maybe you got into it because uh, because your dad had an old version of it or even a book about it or an article about it. They can go back and watch all these old highlights and break down players that they've never seen play before. I mean, it's unbelievable. The other day, my kids were asking me about the, the Heisman Trophy debate between Charles Woodson and Peyton Manning. And what's amazing is they remember these games because they just watched them and they expect me to remember them. Like they've watched highlights of every Super Bowl, right? And they're like, Dad, why didn't the Philadelphia Eagles, when they played against the New England Patriots the first time, why didn't they do And I'm like, I don't, that was 20 years ago. I don't remember. And they just watched it. Their depth of sports knowledge is going to be unlike anybody's depth of sports knowledge because they have the wealth of every game that's ever happened right at their fingertips. And they know how to find the, find them instantaneously. It's unbelievable. But anyway, my son has officially been processed. He listened to Nick Saban say, don't look at the scoreboard. He's not looking at the scoreboard anymore. Hour two, up next here on OutKick. Live from the Geico OutKick Studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Now, this story is actually pretty great. By the way, before I get to that, people said, uh, did your son win his Little League game? I got a couple of people asking me that on social media last night because I was, or this morning after I told the story just now. Um, and no, they lost. But this is a crazy way to lose a game. You're coaching seven or eight-year-old uh, boys baseball. I'm at third base. They're down 11 to nine. The bases are loaded. I'm curious what you guys think about this. Um, there is a ground ball to third base. The uh, the third baseman like fumbles it and boots it. Uh, the kid is running towards third base, and he runs inside to avoid running into the kid who's trying to field the ball. We hadn't really spent a lot of time on the fact that you have to run directly between the base paths, but if he had run directly between the base paths, he would have basically had to run over the uh, the third baseman. So for the final out of the game with the bases loaded, with the run scoring to make it a one-run game, and with the kid advancing to third base, the runner's going to be easily safe at first because the ball's been fumbled, and our guy's going to be easily safe at third. The ump rings him out for running outside the baselines. That's a tough way to go. I got to say, uh, that, was a, uh, that was a tough way for the kids to lose on a, uh, on a don't run outside of the baselines uh, umpire judgment. 
Uh, that is a uh, – I, I don't know that I've even seen that very often called in Little League. I think it's a right call. It's a tough, tough, uh, tough call to lose on for the kids. Um, but speaking of a tough call to lose on, 10 years. 10 years in – now it's called the G League. This guy was in the D League. Um, and I think we have some audio of this. I've been making fun of the NBA regular season and how little it matters, but – when you actually have a story like this happen, it is a very much of a positive to have a guy spend as much time as happened in this situation with um, the Rockets. Uh, sorry, the, the Rockets. The Lakers decide they're going to call up Andre Ingram, and you probably don't really know him uh, because he hasn't played in the NBA before, and he spent 10 years in the D-League turning into the G-League, and he came up at the age of 32 years old and he finally got to debut with the Lakers last night. And this is a, an unbelievable uh, story because the guy spent 10 years grinding away. And look, it's not uncommon in Major League Baseball, for instance, for a guy to have gr- you just spent so much time in the minor leagues and then he finally gets up to the big leagues and gets an opportunity to play in a game in his 30s. That's not an uncommon story. It certainly is something that, that happens somewhat regularly in baseball still rare for a guy to stick with it like this no stories like this at all because you might be able to make a living in minor league baseball you can't make a living really in the G League Um, and so you don't have anybody who becomes a veteran I think we have audio of this it's a great story in the world of sports Andre uh, Ingram 10 years in the D League he comes up for the Lakers against uh, the Rockets I believe and scores 19 points. Here's what that sounded like. Ingram, deep and down. <laughs> deep and down for Trey. 102-99. A one-possession game. <laughs> he's got 19. You know, he's a great guy that's been trying to live out his dream, uh, and he finally got the chance. But I was clear about the fact, like, this wasn't just doing the nice thing. Like, we were bringing him up because we thought he could help us when we needed, you know, we got bodies down and he can shoot the ball. So it was, it was for us just as much as it was for him. And I think he showed, uh, you know, obviously national TV, showed the basketball world tonight what kind of shooter he is. He finished with 19 points, 6 of 8 from the field, 4 of 5 on three-pointers. The Staples Center crowd was serenading him with MVP chance. And uh, it was a a really cool experience. Uh, Quotes from Ingram uh, from uh, the team warm-ups. The atmosphere was electric. You could feel something in there. Uh, Crazy. Uh, Make the free throw, make the free throw, make the free throw. And it was uh, was pretty awesome. And you guys are out in L.A. Were you watching this live, guys, last night uh, as this uh, transpired? Actually, Clay, I was there in attendance. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when I was standing outside Staples waiting – to be let in the whole conversation that I heard amongst the Laker fans and some of the rocket fans standing by the entrance were about him because this story had gone viral a couple of days earlier on the Lakers website and uh, Luke Walton had come into the conference room where he was at signing and you know to, to join the big club and gave him a hug and told him you know uh, I'm excited to have you and your shot because he's known for how, how good of a shooter he is I guess he was trying to develop the rest of his game when he was in the D-League. Some of the uh, stats on him, 384 games he played for the Utah Flash, the L.A. Defenders, 
and the South Bay Lakers most recently for the G League. And what's cool is his wife stood by him and supported his dream the whole 10 years. He's been married to her for a little over four years and has, you know, complete uh, time with her over 10 years. So she's been with him for the whole ride. The Lakers uh, interviewed her during the game. And before they were finished uh, talking to her, she was in tears. So you can imagine what that 10-year ride was like. I mean, Crash Davis, you think of Bull Durham, you think of the rookie with Dennis Quaid. Of course, this would be like the NBA version of Jim Morris. And when he splashed that first three, Staples Center, it was fan appreciation night for the Lakers. The crowd went crazy. It was loud in there. You would have thought Kobe hit a game winner. And then when he stepped up to the free throw line for the first time, the crowd was chanting MVP the way they used to do for Kobe. So it, it was just an electric night there. Yeah, and I would say this. I mean, I think a lot of times sports can, in an ideal way, uh, connect you with your own life in a way that doesn't uh, connect directly to sports. And I'm, I'm trying to uh, to phrase that. I didn't do a very good job of it. But in an in an ideal universe even long after your sporting career is over, right? Whatever it may be. And everybody hangs up their career at a different age, right? You might be Kobe and make it to 36 or 37 playing with the Lakers. You might be your average guy, and the last time you play an organized sport is in high school uh, when you take off your jersey for the last time, whatever sport you might have been playing. Maybe it happens to you in college. At some point, you take off the jersey from a legitimate uh, sports league. You might play intramurals. You might play uh, church league softball or basketball or something like that, but it's a different caliber of playing. Um, What I would say is, to me, what jumps out about this story as I was reading about it this morning and getting ready to come on is, and I know he's only been married to her for four years, but the importance of a spouse supporting a dream, right? And, And not even necessarily just a spouse, but also a family. Um, And finding that person who, look, if you're a parent, you should support your kids' dreams. If you are any kind of decent parent, you should support your kids' dreams, no matter what they are or even how unrealistic they may seem, because as a parent, your job is to be sort of uniformly supportive. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing a good job as a dad or a mom. And I think that also extends to grandparents, people who are really close to kids, should support those kids' dreams. But also, what I would say is that sometimes some of the most impactful people can be not directly connected to you in that same way. Because as a kid, you're naturally, I think, at some point in time going to recognize that your parents, ideally, are so supportive that they might not be telling you the whole truth. For instance... What do we say? He's got a face that only a mother could love. Moms always think their kids are good looking, right? They'll tell you you are, even if you are not good looking. That's fortunate for all of us. That's what motherhood instills, right? Your mom is going to fight for you and believe you are better than everybody. It's like the Prairie Home Companion. What did they say? That Lake Wobegon area, whatever. Every kid was above average. Every parent thinks their kid is above average. So it's not always accurate. If you coach Little League, if you coach uh, any kind of sport, you know there's always a parent who has delusions of grandeur about how good their kids are. You try to be objective if you're a coach, but as you move up, 
10, 11, 12-year-olds, parents come up and they're like, hey, we think we're going to be pretty good here. They're like, your son's the 12th best person on a 15-team basketball team. That's why they're not getting moment, you know, minutes. But I think that oftentimes the people who end up supporting you the most that you remember in your career are either your friends or just people out there who are willing to give you that hand and willing to support you. I'll give you a couple examples in my life. And I'm sure everybody out there listening, regardless of what you do, can you can remember those things. My parents have always been insanely supportive. I think I have two of the best parents in, in the world. And, and a lot of kids are going to say that about their parents. I obviously believe it about mine. Uh, but I remember a couple of different things. One, I'll give you three different people that were instrumental, I think, in what I have ended up doing. One, when I was writing online, this has probably been 12 years ago, just starting to write online, my uncle uh, told me through my dad, he said, you know what? I think Clay, made, he was reading one of my articles, and I don't even remember what article it was. I was writing at CBS Sports at the time, literally making no money, literally making zero. I spent a couple of years writing online to not make a dollar, grinding away, not making a dollar. I was practicing law full time. And I remember my uncle said, I think Clay might be able to make a living as a writer. And that was really, to me, important endorsement. My uncle is 85 years old, awesome guy, always been supportive of me, but he's not my parents. He's not my grandparents. He's logical. He is, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's fact-based. And so hearing that opinion from him was very helpful to me significant. It served as evidence that I was doing good work. I remember uh, being at a football game. I'm probably making not very much money. Not very much money at all. I've been grinding away for several years. I was at a Vanderbilt football game. And this was before my first book came out. uh, Maybe even when I was working on that first book. And one of my friends from law school was there at the game with me. And we were just standing having a couple of beers, and he was talking about my columns and, and what I had written. And he said, you know what? He said, I'm not just telling you this. He's like, I think that you're going to make a million dollars a year one day doing what you do. It's like I was reading you know, your most recent column. He's like, you know, I read sports all the time. He said, uh, I, I really believe that you're going to make a million dollars a year doing what you do one day. And at the time... Total income, maybe thirty thousand dollars. That's with a law degree. That's with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, stuff hanging over your head. A couple of kids working on it. That was like I was like, you're kidding, because I would have signed if you had told me at that point in time you will make two hundred thousand dollars a year for the rest of your life. I would have signed that contract in blood at that point in time. But hearing that was incredibly validating. And then I got to give credit to my wife. Uh, When I wrote my first book, there are a lot of people out there who, when you had this, what could be considered a harebrained scheme, I was practicing law full-time, and I decided to take off the practice of law full-time, not do it. And I said, you know what I'm going to do this fall instead of practicing law full-time? I'm going to go around to, at the time, all 12 SEC football stadiums, and I'm going to write a book about why SEC football matters so much to Southerners. I'm not going to be able to get credentialed anywhere. I'm going to go as a fan. I'm going to sleep on people's couches. 
I'm going to do this thing as cheaply as I can. I'm going to drive all over the Southeast for several months, and I'm going to do this for the entire fall. And to her credit, when I told this idea to my wife, her first response, I'm not even kidding about this at all, her first response was when I gave her out, you know, I looked at the games, I had drafted a list, I was making my case, I'm going to turn this into a book. Her first response was, well, what about going to the cocktail party, the Georgia-Florida game? Well, it was off campus. Well, you need to go to the SEC title game too. And all three of those were very monumental, I would say, at least in my own mind, moments of support. So when I see a story like this about Andre Ingram, as good as his story is, I think about the people who probably encouraged him to continue to do what he was doing because they knew that he loved it and because they knew that he had the talent to take his game to the highest possible level. And for grinding away for 10 years, I I have what I think is the best job in America right now. But there were years and years where I questioned whether I would ever be able to do this for a living. And there were people along the way who were encouraging enough of my talent to allow me to have some fuel to get here. Now, there are also tons of people out there who spend time telling you, you're an idiot, you're never going to have any success, why are you doing this? A little bit of Wednesday morning motivation for you from me, and I think also, to a certain extent, from Andre Ingram, even though we don't know him. Trust in yourself and remember the people who are supporting you along the way more than you remember the people who don't believe you can do it. It's important to have fuel on both sides, and I understand that a lot of people uh, are driven to success by people who hate them, people who don't think they should succeed, people who don't think they have the goods to end up in any kind of position of success. You can't control those people. What I would tell you to do is cultivate the people who are trying to lift you up. And I'm not just talking about parents. Like I said, parents should always support kids' dreams, not even grandparents, but other people in your circle. Find people who are encouraging because it's very common for the hater gene to predominate. And if you're not careful, you can surround yourself very easily with haters, with people who want you to be unsuccessful because it reflects poorly upon their own self-esteem if you end up succeeding. I guarantee you there were tons of people out there who told Andre Ingram he should hang it up. You're 30 years old. You're 28 years old. Dude, this dream's never going to happen. And then finally it does happen. And the reason why it happened was ultimately to his credit because he had the mental fortitude, the strength, the conditioning, the wherewithal to continue to pursue his dream. But also, I guarantee it happened because he got married and his wife didn't immediately say, maybe it's time to hang up the sneakers. Maybe it's time to give up this dream that you've been pursuing for a long time while you're making $20,000 a year. And whatever you do in your own lives, every single person driving into work this morning has a dream probably oftentimes to be doing something different than what they might be doing now. And I would encourage you to pursue it, and I would encourage you to find people who encourage your pursuit of excellence, 
maybe even in a field that you're not involved in right now. And to me, Andre Ingram is a great reflection through the prism of sports of what the larger cultural dynamic can be for so many of you out there in so many different walks of life. I said I had it early because I had what I call a quarter-life crisis where people think, oh, you're a lawyer. You've got it made. Those people are typically not lawyers. Every lawyer that I've ever known just about has got a goal to get out of practicing law and do something else. Because when you become a lawyer, you're really smart and you're able to make a living as a practicing attorney, but most people don't love practicing law. And every lawyer just about that I met has got a dream of not being a lawyer, writing a book, painting, doing something, music, sports like me, doing something outside of the practice of law. And a lot of people, and I'm using the law as an example because I know it well, the field of law, a lot of people are afraid to step outside of that arena because what will other people think of them? I went all the way through law school. I spent all that money. I passed the bar exam. I invested all that time. And now I'm going to do something else? And people oftentimes don't take those risks and pursue those things that they love because not because they're worried about themselves. They're worried about what other people are going to think. Oh, really? He's doing that? Oh, really? She's doing that? And that's because there's a lot of people out there who are going to judge you and you're worried too much about how they're going to judge you. I guarantee you people have been judging Andre Ingram for a long time. Dude, you're on the South Bay Lakers and you're 32. It ain't going to happen. Well, it happened. He got in the Staples Center. He scored 19 points. He didn't give up on his dream. Are you giving up on yours? Sadly, all too often, people do. I'm Clay Travis. We're going to talk next with Jeff Schwartz. He didn't give up on his dream. He played eight years in the NFL. We will discuss the NFL draft. Odell Beckham Jr., he played with the Giants. What does he think about that relationship? And more. That's next. I'll kick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. A good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket. It just may be the most rewarding to-do you do today. Uh, Let's go uh, bring in uh, Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports, and we'll talk with Jeff Shorts on the flip side. What's up, my man? Well, Clay, in the NBA, it was the second to last night of the regular season. The 76ers look to be going into the playoffs on a roll. They beat the Hawks 121-113. That's their 15th win in a row, and that's a new franchise record. Jazz beat up on the Warriors 119-79. to That 40-point loss for Golden State is the worst under head coach Steve Kerr. Rockets get their league-leading 65th win of the season, beating the, Ro- the Lakers 105-99. And in a possible first-round playoff preview, the Wizards beat the Celtics 113-101. to A couple of scores from baseball. Red Sox route the Yankees 14-1. to Boston's down 9-1 on the season. That's the franchise's best start after 10 games. Mets are also 9-1. They beat the Marlins 8-6. Seven straight wins for New York. And it's also time for our Geico Play of the Day. Five seconds to go, and the Sixers win tonight at Phillips Arena in Atlanta. Final 121-113. The 15th consecutive victory for the Sixers. The Longest winning streak in Sixers franchise history. WPEN 97.5, The Fanatic, and the Sixers Radio Network on the call with our Geico Play of the Day.
Good stuff, as always. Eddie Garcia there. Let's bring in my guy, Jeff Schwartz. We talk to him every single Wednesday in hour two. Former NFL offensive lineman. He lives in Charlotte now. He used to play for the Giants. So, Jeff, we talked a lot about this a couple days ago, and we're going to talk with Whitlock in hour three about it. But to me, this is an intriguing question. Why is Odell Beckham Jr. so, uh, so like, uh, such a controversial figure? What has he actually done that's controversial? Nothing. I think what happens is you have him when he was young and trying to, still trying to figure out in the NFL, he reached out to Ray Lewis and he reached out to Chris Carter. And now that he's older and he has a different group of friends, he doesn't talk to those guys anymore. And they feel shunned. And that's part of why they're reaching out uh, publicly to him. He's done nothing wrong. He's, he's done nothing off the field. Yeah, I mean, well, he had one video where, where his girlfriend and him might have been doing drugs. Oh, my, the horror of that, right? No one in the NFL has ever done drugs before. Um, he shows up to work on time. He works his tail off. His teammates like him. Yeah, his on-field antics from time to time aren't ideal, right? Kissing a, 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 a proposing to a kicking net, and that whole thing was very odd, but he still was making plays. Um, yeah, look, the, 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 the dog pissing celebration, not the best idea in the world. Um, but part of that is they need to reel him in a, little, a tiny bit on the field. Just say, like, oh, Doug, you can't do that. But the rest of what he does, as far as his energy, that's who he is. So if you tell him, like, Odell, we, we can't do anything on the field anymore. You just need to you know, be Larry Fitzgerald, hand the ball to the referee every play. I think you're going to have a different player because he feeds off that energy. So I just think it's guys that – that used to be used to be um, in his ear that aren't in his ear anymore and are upset about it. Did you ever have older guys that you sought advice from when you were in the NFL? And if so, would you have felt like your trust was violated if those guys had gone public with the fact that they had been talking to you? Um, not anyone I wasn't playing with. Like, I think it's very important to have a mentor. And mine was Jordan Gross, who was here in Carolina uh, for 11 years playing left tackle. He was fantastic, and so I didn't, you know, I didn't have to like. He wasn't a public figure. Uh, he wasn't on a different team. We still talk regularly. Um, that he wouldn't go and tell anyone that that you know we. I mean, I made it clear that, that he is like my mentor. If anyone asks who your mentor is, yeah. but he's not going to go in public and like and blast me or anything. Um, uh, I guess. Odell kind of talks to everybody. I mean, I don't. I guess I really. I, it doesn't bother me from the outside. I mean, I guess if you're Odell and you have a confidential relationship with with Ray Lewis and with Chris Carter and some of these guys that have been kind of harsh on him in public, especially Ray Lewis recently, and the comments he made obviously struck a chord with Odell because Odell went right to social media and posted photos of him praying and still being close to God. I think, I think that that idea, especially if you are a, a person of faith and someone calls you out on national TV for not being someone of faith anymore, I think that would really bother you. Yeah, I'll give you an example in my own life. So I obviously practiced law, and I had clients, and when those clients are there, we have something called attorney-client privilege. And so even though I might want to tell this crazy story, I'm not going to tell it because I was representing this person, and they have the, uh, the opportunity, you know, based on that, that that I they, they can tell me anything and I'm never going to divulge without their permission what they told me in that conversation, right? And so I think about in my own life, if I have a private conversation with someone and I have a lot of private conversations, right, uh, on a day-to-day basis like everybody else, I'm a little bit different because I am somewhat of a public figure. But I it, it, talking to other members of the media, for instance, 
or, you know, about a conversation. I can think over the course of my, you know, like 12, 13, 14 years of doing this, only one time has another member of the media publicly said something that I said to them in a private conversation on, you know, like for mass distribution. And I was upset about that. And I think when I think about this Odell Beckham Jr. versus Ray Lewis kind of story that has developed, to me, if I'm Odell Beckham Jr., what I'm upset about is not necessarily him saying like his opinion of me, but the fact that he's giving his opinion of me as as based on private conversations that we might have had. Does that make sense? So I feel like if I come on here yeah. right now and I say to you, like, oh, I think Odell Beckham Jr. needs religion in his life. You guys may agree or disagree with me, but that's just my opinion entirely based on looking at a person from outside. When I am Ray Lewis and I am saying he needs religion in his life, and I know that because of private conversations that we've been having over the past several years, to me, that's a violation of that of that privilege to me between friends. I'm talking to you privately. I'm not yeah. asking you to take my private life into a public discussion. No, I think that's fair. However, I, we don't see the thing, though, is we don't know if they still talk. Like We have no idea if that's just Ray Lewis deciding to go out and, and blab away about, about um, Odell's private life or whether Odell has told him, like, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. We don't know if that's the case. And that, that's kind of the issue is that I kind of think it sounds like they don't talk anymore. And this is his way of, of reaching out because it sounds like just from his comments, like, hey, I'm reaching out to you, fellow. Like, we haven't talked in a while. Come back and get closer to God. I just think religion is something that is different for everybody. And, and just because it's big in Ray Lewis's life doesn't mean it has to be the same in Odell's life. I think that's the issue I have is that, you know, it's, it's tough for me to call out anyone's religion um, on national TV and say they're not following it like I want them to follow it because it's different for everybody. Um, and I, that's what I took offense to. I'm not offense. That's a wrong word to say. I'm not offended at all. Um, but if I was Odell, that's what I would take offense to. Yeah. And, and the other thing about that is, I understand if you're giving somebody religious advice when they have been through a really difficult time in their life. Look, a lot of people rely on religion to give them the strength to make decisions in their life, regardless whether you're Muslim, Christian, Jewish, uh, you know, whatever your religious faith is, or whether you just particularly have decided you don't believe in any kind of organized religion, whatever that might be. But to me, what is uh, what is utterly fascinating here is the big crux to me is what has Odell Beckham Jr. actually done? You know, it'd be different if this guy had gotten arrested two or three times or if you're talking about like Alden Smith, right? If if Ray Lewis came on, he said, look, I've been talking to this guy. He definitely needs help. He's hanging out with Bieber and Timberlake. That ain't exactly the fiercest crew on the planet, right? (laughs) He's in LA, which ain't the fiercest town anywhere, like running the sand dunes at Manhattan Beach. He's not exactly, you know, like, uh, you know, like gang banging in Compton, right? Um, yeah, and uh, UCLA. yeah, and he's yeah, hanging out at UCLA, like Westwood. It's not exactly you know West LA is not a very dangerous place in general to be hanging out, no. right? Um, and no. on on top of that, like uh, he he hooks up with a French Instagram model. Which, by the way, I wish I could hook up with a French Instagram model. Is there a hotter descriptor? <laughs> like if I told you right now, Shorts, if we were single, and he was like, "What do you?" When you were in town, and you're like, "What are you up to tonight?" You're like, "If I was like." I got a couple of French Instagram models that want to meet us up to hang out. You'd be like, yes, like I'm sold. I don't even know anything else. French Instagram model, I am all in. Like, and that chick may have done uh, drugs after he hooked up with her or whatever. 
that seems pretty tame in the grand scheme of things for what when in this day and age when we I see know. what athletes get in trouble for. I just don't see what Odell Beckham Jr. is doing wrong. Well, he's outspoken. He wants a new contract. You know, he's one of the first guys to really, in my mind, in NFL, really take a hold of of um, the entertainment industry. Like, become really friends with a lot of these guys. And I think he's one of the first guys to to really do that in a long time. Um, where he's buddies with Drake, Justin Timberlake, and Bieber, and and he's you know he he transitioned himself from the NFL to an entertainer. Now, obviously, he's still in the NFL, but he is friends with these guys. He's, he's, a, he's a media, social media influencer, or whatever. I don't like that word, but that's what he is. Um, and that's just different. And a lot of old school guys have trouble wrapping their heads around the fact that Odell can do both, that he can play football, be focused on football. You know, we've seen the workout video. He did one at UCLA yesterday. He can work out at UCLA for three hours and then go hit – you know, the club in Hollywood and still do the same thing the following day or go hang out with, you know, with Drake and grab a meal with him, but also work out at the same time. For a lot of guys that are, that are older, that's, that's not the life they lived and not the life they had. I don't think they're jealous, but they're just not used to seeing a star player um, uh, be able to have access to all these celebrities and all these entertainment people, um, which Odell has, has always been able to do ever since he made that catch. And that's different for them. And they have trouble, they have trouble wrapping their heads around that. And look, his only sin, I sin's even the wrong word. I mean, it's like he wants a new contract. I don't think that's anything wrong with that. I mean, he wants as much money as he can, right? right. And you wanted as much money as you could when you played football. And I want as much money as I can doing radio and talking and writing and everything else. And everybody out there listening to us right now wants as much money as they can. Now, that's a different debate. Is he worth $20 million? I don't think he is because I don't think any receiver is worth $20 million. But that's a different debate. Is he worth the money? Is he out of control off the field? To me, the answer is no. No. Maybe I'm missing something. But so far publicly, he seems to be behaving in a way that would be perfectly fine to me. I agree with you. And and look, I think there there could be things maybe behind the scenes. That's why the Giants have tried to move on from Odell, which I don't think they're going to be able to do now unless someone close to draft day or on draft day ends up wanting to take a shot uh, at, at trading for it. The Rams were a good option for that, but obviously that's now done with the, with the trading cooks. Um, yeah, I think we're also this, this time of year where, you know, it's hot takes before the draft. Guys want to say something. I just, the, I just was, the religion part of it just kind of bothered me because I think that that's, like I said, it's your own personal decision how close or not close you want to be with, with God and, and, and your religion. And to call someone's religion out on national TV, I think is not very tasteful. We'll be talking with Jason Whitlock about that segment with uh, Ray Lewis. He's going to join us in hour three if you're intrigued by that. All right, you, uh, what do you think is going to happen? Is Sam Darnold, we're two weeks basically, almost uh, 15 yeah. days from the NFL draft now. Sam Darnold won, seems to be the expectation. Do you think that's going to happen? And more importantly, you played with the Giants. What are the Giants going to do it to? I looked at the odds this morning. Darnold's still the favorite, but Josh Allen's catching up quickly. Josh Allen's like like plus one fifteen this morning. Like yeah. it's coming. It's coming. It's 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 basically oh, down. It's, if you believe the offshore odds, uh, it's down to either Josh Allen or Sam Darnold as the number one overall pick. Yeah, Darnold was like was like minus two seventy five this morning, but um, Josh Allen's closing fast. I I just for the life of me, I I can't I can't imagine the Browns drafting Josh Allen. I mean. I guess the Browns can be the Browns and do what everyone says not to do, which is draft a quarterback who's a huge project, who uh, is slow to anticipate, who doesn't complete a lot of passes, all these things that 
you know, you, you're a Titans fan. He's Jake Walker. That's what he is. Um, and, and you saw firsthand what Jake Walker was, and that's what you're drafting at one. If you draft him at, you know, Walker was, what, 10 or 12? Okay, you know, maybe you whiff at 10 or 12, but eight. to whiff at one. Eight, I he, remember. He was eight. Yeah. He was eight, wow. Um, to, to whiff at one when you have all these other options available would be different if you, like I said, you're drafting at 10, everyone was gone, and you had to pick Josh Allen. But you have Sam Darnold right there in front of you. Um, go ahead and take him. So I think with the Giants um, – if they stay at two, to me, is drafting a quarterback. Um, and that quarterback would probably be Sam Darnold if the Browns um, take Josh Allen at one. I think the Giants would take Darnold at, at two. I heard they do not like Rosen very much, even though I think he's a great fit for that offense and he'll be challenged mentally in, in a West Coast offense. Um, but again, I think the, this whole mental thing is blown out of proportion. I think it's great. Your quarterback asks why, right? Tom Brady does, Aaron Rodgers does. All the top quarterbacks ask why. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think his personality fits in well, uh, minus what Stephen A. said about. Yeah, what do you think about that? You're Jewish. What do you think about the idea that Josh Rosen wants to go to New York because there's more Jews there? The funny thing is, Cleveland has a huge Jewish population. Like every most major cities have a very tight knit. It might be it might be a quieter Jewish community. But I played in Minnesota. I played in Kansas City. Uh, let's play in New York. There's Jewish communities everywhere. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, I don't. I you know just like would you, you know, Stephen A. Would you choose to go somewhere based on the church that was in the area? No. And so um, it's it was a ridiculous. It's, it's we're at this point of the year now where there's so, there's nothing to say anymore. Everything's been written or said. You have to find different angles to get attention. Um, that was ridiculous. But I think he fits in personality wise with the Giants. But I just don't. I, I've heard they don't like him. So if the Giants, if, if Back to if Sam Darnold's taking it one, I think the Giants trade out of two. Um, the Bills are going to want to move up. The Broncos are going to want to move up. Someone's going to want to trade up to two. And if the Giants move back to five, they can still get an impact player, even maybe a Saquon Barkley at five or Quinn Nelson at five or, or um, a Chubb at five. I mean, they'll get someone at five that's a future you know, potential all-pro. Um, if they trade back to 12 with the Bills, I don't know if they're going to want to trade all the way back to 12. They might have to try to get themselves back up in the top five after that. But I think the Giants hold all the cards in the draft. If they decide to go um, with the quarterback at two, then that changes obviously what the Jets do. But if not, I think they're going to trade. I think they'll trade out of two. Outstanding as always. He's Jewish. He's Jeff Schwartz. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk to him next week here on Outkick. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15 as well car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price list price and invoice true car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car visit true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience let's go right to it boys we haven't done it so far this week let's have some animal thunderdome fun Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bullet and strict respect to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, who's got the best story? Who's going first? I don't know that I have the best story. I've got a couple of interesting stories. One happening just yesterday. A Florida family gets a fright. An alligator, not necessarily the most germane thing that's happened in Florida, made a surprise late-night visit to the front door of their home. Amber Manning said she and her family had gone to bed on Sunday night when she was roused by a phone call from her father. 
warning her not to go outside because there was an alligator at the front door. The sheriff's office arrived with a reptile handler. They trapped the alligator. The gator was seven and a half to eight feet long and was apparently seeking out a mate, according to the trapper. They posted a photo of the alligator to Facebook. It was pretty big, not as big as the 11-foot alligator that's in another story about carrots. But this is the funny part to me. This woman wakes up her grandmother, who's 86 years old, to to come and see this 8-foot-long alligator that's at the front door. Her grandmother had lived in the home for 18 years, had never seen an alligator, and couldn't believe it. When I'm reading this, I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to grab an 86-year-old woman who might have a weak heart. I'm just saying at her age to go and see an eight-foot alligator that's directly outside her front door. I don't know that that's the move that I would make, but alligators, again, continuing to try and get closer and closer to homes in the southeast of the country. There's also another one, a strong crocodile that is now able to climb waterfalls. That also frightening. What? Crocodiles are climbing waterfalls? Yeah, like it didn't like it wasn't able to hang on. It was only able to hang on for like three or four seconds, but it climbed up a waterfall, like the rocks that were there at the waterfall. There's a video of this crocodile oh, that apparently that has video. incredible upper body strength, just climbing up this waterfall to where? try and get to somewhere. I'll have to look and find out exactly where it was. By the way, did we ever give you enough criticism for reporting that there were moose in Houston, Texas, when it was actually Houston, Alaska? I felt like there was enough criticism of that, yes. What do you guys think in L.A.? Did we give them enough criticism for saying, because like, everybody was like, wait, there are moose now in Texas? And it was Houston, Alaska, and not Houston, Texas? Uh, I mean, you had to read the headline. Like I said, I grabbed the headline quickly, and it said, in Houston. Like, it didn't say anything about that, so I had to look a lot deeper, find out what the call letters of this place were, and find out where it was. It's kind of a big deal if moose are now in Texas. Well, I agree. That's why I thought the story was cool. I was just like, wow, because that's the headline is why. Like, if it happens up there in Alaska, I'm not sure why it's even being mentioned. I, I, I believe just, I'm totally vindicated on that. Uh, you're not vindicated because you were wrong. You're vindicated when somebody accuses you of being wrong and you end up being right. You were wrong and you're still wrong. Uh, we have to go. Uh, do we have time? You got stuff? Uh, uh, should we come back on the flip side and hit more of these? Because I got a couple too. Yeah, we're going to need to finish at the top. All right, we'll finish at the top of hour three. Then we're going to go to uh, Jason Whitlock. Uh, if you are starting off your morning with this, you're just waking up. Should be a good uh, conversation with Jason Whitlock, plus more Animal Thunderdome to start hour three. Also got a question. How late should you be able to stay up on a regular basis for the NHL and the NBA playoffs? I, I'm kind of torn on this. we got a lot of early risers out there. This is tough because I want to watch the Predators, for instance, but they're not kick, They're not starting till 9.30 Eastern. I don't know if I can manage that and still be up as early as I need to be for this show. We're going to talk about that, but first, more Animal Thunderdome next on OutKick, the coverage. Live from the Geico OutKick studios where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Uh, we will continue to uh, to break down the biggest news in the world of sports. But first, we've got to continue the Animal Thunderdome. And by the way, I haven't even talked about this so far in today's show before I get to the Animal Thunderdome. Maybe I'll talk about it a little bit tomorrow. I'm just not that wrapped up in this NCAA investigation of college basketball players. And maybe we'll spend some more time talking about that tomorrow. But now Kansas and NC State are involved. And probably be some people who spend a lot of time talking about that today. I'll touch on it tomorrow, um, but it's just not something that, you know, even though we have Dan Wetzel on regularly and everything else, I'll, I'll 
we'll have a big discussion about that tomorrow. Just kind of put it a pin in it for coming tomorrow. But first, Animal Thunderdome. I got this story. I thought this would be pretty crazy. We don't usually go to Idaho for uh, for crazy stories. I'm not sure if anybody else saw this one, but this is pretty wild. A uh, conservation officer in Idaho uh, came across a shocking sight Saturday night. More than 50 dead geese all fell simultaneously into a parking lot near his Idaho lab. The discovery in Idaho Falls. Are we on in Idaho? If we're on in Idaho, I'm sure we are somewhere. Let me know where you're listening this morning in Idaho, and let me know if you survived this dead geese attack. Uh, After lightning and golf ball-sized hail, uh, the East Idaho News reports that they think maybe the geese were all killed by a lightning strike while migrating north to Canada. And, quote, several of these geese had their stomachs blown open and all of them were dead. And then this is an amazing quote. None were injured. Now, I'm not an expert on injury, but if several of them had their stomachs blown open, I guess they had to do an autopsy. Maybe that's what they're saying here because none were injured on the exterior. I would say if your stomach explodes, that would classify itself as an injury. There's a difference between being hurt. Are you hurt or injured? I think that's probably at least an injury. Uh, Hell also could have knocked them out of the sky, but they think they were all struck by lightning simultaneously. Geese losing a big one there to the god of thunder and lightning. Thor, big hit. Me, uh, Danny. <laughs> yeah, we got a cougar in the news. Jacob sent this in to us this morning from British Columbia in Port Hardy. A scare at the hospital there on Tuesday as people inside the hospital, including the nurse who took these photos, saw and were scared to death uh, to, to uh, see a cougar sitting on the uh, garden window just chilling, Clay. This uh, cougar was spotted by the nurse uh, as she made her way inside the hospital. It was there that Danielle Nye, a staff member, took pictures sitting in a, uh, this cougar sitting in an outside garden box on the ledge. She said it was pretty scary how it was just eyeballing everybody. Um, finally, and it, and it was there for a while. They called authorities. It finally took off. They searched for it. They have not been able to find it. Now, I guess this article says that it's not uncommon for cougars to be spotted in this part of Canada, but they don't normally come up this close to humans. C- kind of got to see pictures of this to do it justice. Uh, Jason was mentioning how large you could tell this cougar yeah. is. And it looks like the Joker on Dark Knight. I feel like does. the cougar population has expanded recently. I don't know. I don't have any data to support it. But in Animal Thunderdome stories, the cougar is rapidly climbing the list of animals that just appear that nobody anticipates seeing. Now, you have got... This This is an unbelievable story to me. Detroit police in the suburban town of Troy, Michigan. Uh, so, really, the suburban town of Troy, Michigan. I believe up in Oakland County. It's where I got married. That's where my wife is from, outside of Detroit. They've added a cat to the police force. Yes, they have. They auditioned five felines from the Michigan Humane Society, added a cat to the ranks on Friday. Now, they're going to use the cat for therapeutic purposes and to make public appearances. A Troy officer who has two cats at home is going to get a new four-legged partner. So this officer that's already like a cat fan is going to be partnered up, I guess, with air quotes, 
with this thing. The sergeant says the department wants to promote pet adoptions from area shelters. Troy students will be able to come up with possible names for the kitten. They pledged they would add a cat if they could reach 10,000 Twitter followers by April. And in eight days, they went from 4,000 to 10,000 and paid off what they said they would do, answered their promise, and now there's a cat. Now, I don't know if it's going to have a uniform. I don't know exactly how this thing is going to play out. But I lived in a city for seven years where the most known news personality who won awards each year was a dog that was part of the meteorology team. So this does not blow me away as much as it might other people. I would suggest that crime is probably not a big concern in your community if you're adding a cat to the police force. Yeah, probably not. If you're sitting around saying, hey, we want more Twitter followers and also we're bringing in this cat. I'm not an expert on what the crime wave looks like in Troy, Michigan. But I'm guessing if you had a lot of unsolved murders, it would be difficult to get it past the public that you decided to add a cat to the police force. Like, if I if I hear that Washington, D.C., like, oh, you know, there's lots of people who are dying here that we don't know who killed people, but on the positive side, we now have a cat to make people like us more, I'd be like, yeah, you got to fire the police chief. You can only pull this off if you're in a community where there's not very much actual crime going on. Uh, all right, what happened? you got a couple of more uh, stories here. Yeah, there's a couple of crazy ones. There were husband and wife beekeepers in Sioux City, Iowa, who came home a couple of weeks ago to check on their 50 beehives. They have half a million bees. All of them, all of these hives have been overturned and hacked apart. The supply shed had been ransacked. 500,000 dead bees. 500,000 dead bees? Yes, half a million dead bees, an estimated $60,000 in damaged property. They had a honey business that was growing obviously they knocked over every single hive killing all the bees they wiped us out completely the names of the boys who have been arrested for criminal mischief offenses to an agricultural animal facility and burglary also an aggravated misdemeanor for possession of burglary tools ages 12 and 13 technically 10 years in prison and fines as much as 10 grand but they'll be adjudicated in juvenile court but what strikes me about this is All right, I did a little bit of vandalism in high school. I'll admit it. A lot of us did. We egged houses. We rolled houses. We did some things we're not proud of. The last thing that I would do, though, as a vandal, especially as a 12- or 13-year-old boy, is to go where bees are, especially in plentiful numbers like half a million bees. This is a fantastic point. Why did the bees not defend themselves? It's a really good question. Usually we're on the side of the humans against the animals. i got to be honest with you. How is it possible for a 12- and a 13-year-old boy to kill 500,000 bees and not get stung to death? I mean, were they in beekeeper outfits? We need more information about this story out of Iowa because why would the bees not defend themselves? My grandfather raised his own honey, right? And so he had his own, uh, he had his own uh, you know, beekeeping uh, that he would do in the backyard. And I didn't want to go anywhere near there because I didn't want to get stung. Now, the interesting thing is, and and this may be rare, but he was immune to bee stings. So if you regularly, and I mean this seriously, if you regularly work with bees, like the stinging doesn't really impact you because you've been stung enough that you don't have like the ability to be uh, hurt by the bee stings. And so I understand if you're like a professional beekeeper that you might be able to interact around all these bees and not deal with being stung and everything else. But if you're just a couple of kid vandals, to me, these bees should have rained down holy hell on this 12- and 13-year-olds, and it should have been 
Not that I'm in favor of them dying, but it should have been a My Girl type situation. Hate to spoil the movie My Girl. Don't want anybody out there who's been expecting to watch it tonight, doesn't know what's going to happen. Spoiler alert. Turn down your radios. Macaulay Culkin dies because he gets stung by a bee, right? That's the way that movie ends. By the way, greatest comeback in acting history for Anna Chlumsky to go from the little girl, however you pronounce her name, in My Girl, to now being maybe the funniest on-television personality on Veep as the chief of staff for uh, for Selena Roberts. That was a hell of a comeback nobody saw coming. No, yeah, that, that's for sure. She's actually done some other stuff as well, but Veep with Selena Meyer has definitely been, I would suggest, probably her biggest role. But she's actually getting some other pretty solid roles and a lot of other stuff as a result. But you hadn't heard anything about her really since My Girl. And then all of a sudden she comes on as Amy, and now she's everywhere. Yeah, she was. she's so great. If you haven't watched Veep, that show is so, I feel like I need to say it, effing funny. I mean, like literally one of the funniest shows that's ever been written, and her character is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but don't you agree they should have gone my girl on these kids? Not that I want them to die, but if you kill 500,000 bees, wild nature would suggest that they should get one of you in response. Um, also, what happened? We had uh, people f- trying to feed carrots to alligators. Yeah, this was sort of an odd story. A South Carolina resort, the Fripp Island Resort Activity Center, posted photos to Facebook of a large alligator, an 11-foot alligator with a carrot, like one of those miniature carrots, stuck to the side of its face. So they put up a, this in this Facebook post. They write that this is a new level of stupid. Today, some visitors threw carrots onto a big alligator. This is a new level of stupid. We know some of Fripp's wildlife is amazing, but this is not how appreciation, respect, or admiration work. Tourists responsible, they have descriptions of them for every carrot that you throw. And I don't know if they threw one or if they threw ten. It's $200 per carrot. But the reason why this matters is that even though the alligator in this case didn't respond to the humans and later slunk back into the water after the sun went down, there's there's a danger in doing this. Because doing this can make the alligator see humans as a source of food, meaning not eating them off the start, but seeing them as somewhere they can go to get food, and then you'd have to put the alligator down. Because if the gators then get close to the humans and the humans get afraid, then the gator acts out of defense, and then you have alligator eating people that just wanted to roll up and get some carrots. Yeah, first of all, these are not good humans, because carrot maybe is the worst food to eat in America. If I had to power rank food that I hate, the carrot might be number one. Can you think of a worse food than the carrot? It's, I mean, if you grill it or, or, you know, like cook it, it's a little bit more appetizing. But the carrot, I think, is borderline not food. I mean, Mm. like if you pulled a carrot out of the ground and just ate it, like you're a sick son of a bitch that I don't think should be able like I don't trust anybody I see walking around with just like a big carrot eating it I, I just don't can you think of a worse food than the carrot on the power <laughs> well, ranking list well I would tell you like, you don't eat anything you don't even like steak or anything no else. but I like carrots I really the, the, enjoy raw carrots I don't like, oh, like this, cooked this, or steamed carrots bastard. but I like just raw stop, carrots t- turn his mic off you <laughs> sick sick bastard Clay I think, <laughs> I think the s- carrot is the worst I think squash is pretty gross because it you know it gets cooked on the outside but the inside is slimy with the guts? Yeah, but I don't think squash... First of all, squash is not very common. Like, there's not very many people out there like, you know what I want is a good squash. Like, there are people out there that are eating carrots right now, like, for breakfast. They're like, you know what I, I love? Just night. a nice carrot. 
The fact that you don't like steak and you like carrots makes me want to fire you on the spot. Just <laughs> I'm saying I honest. like steak, and I should uh, hopefully I'll have an answer to that question in the next couple of weeks. You've I never had, had a steak. The fact that you are 39 years old and have never eaten a steak and you like carrots. What about you, Justin Cooper? Is anybody else on the anti-carrot train with me here? No, not at all. I love carrots. For real. I've honestly never been more disgusted. <laughs> Just never been more disgusted. The carrot no, I don't trust anybody eating food. a giant carrot walking down the street. like that. That is a little bit odd unless you're I like would... a six-foot rabbit with white gloves on. Yeah, the carrot is an indefensible food. I don't know how it became a staple of anybody's diet. By the way, this is an update. The Los Angeles Police Department is uh, they're they're retweeting upset at me yesterday because I was defending the guy who got arrested for saying that. Remember yesterday we had the air the air the arrest at the LAX over the the Green Bay Packer player who said like, "Hey, honey, did you pack the explosives?" and he had to go to jail. And uh, 15, uh, 15, this is unbelievable to me, $15,000 fine. The LAX police union is retweeting criticism of my opinion that they overreacted. So is the vice mayor of the city of Los Angeles. We have we've provoked an outrage among the LAX PD uh, police department, <laughs> as well as the vice, I'm looking at this right now, the vice mayor, uh, uh, this is uh, this. They're upset at me for taking the side of uh, of everybody else. This is uh, this is pretty ridiculous, and it seems to me that they are seeking out people who have an opinion that disagrees with me to favorite those tweets. Am I now? In a, I I was worried about this when I said I was going to come down on the side of the football player. Am I going to be on the do not fly list? This has been a big fear of mine. I'm going to New York City next weekend with my wife. Am I going to roll into the airport and be on the do not fly list suddenly because I came down on the side of the player who made the who made the explosives joke? You're worried about you. A few of us on the show live here in Los Angeles, so you're thousands of miles away from us. Yeah, and but you're if, still it's causing all, it's trouble all in our one lives. big conspiracy group. All they got to do is just get on. The, it's like it's not like the computer only works in L.A. If you're on the do not fly list, you can't fly anywhere. That's why it's called the do not fly list. It's not like the do not fly out of LAX list. It's the do not fly list. I think I'm going to get screwed here. I don't want the deputy mayor of Los Angeles coming after me. That's like the governor of North Dakota. If you had to rank them, who's more powerful, the deputy mayor of Los Angeles or the governor of North Dakota? Deputy mayor of LA, by far, more powerful than the governor of North Dakota or South Dakota. Not that I want the Dakotas after me either. Even though I've never been there, lovely place, especially when it's not winter. Bunch I don't know. We're going to talk to Jason carrot eaters. about this. Uh, it's true. <laughs> carrot eating bastards. That's what they are. Uh, I'm Clay Travis. We're going to talk to Jason Whitlock next at Whitlock Jason on Twitter about Odell Beckham Jr. having Ray Lewis on, and also we're both obsessed with the television show Billions. But Whitlock's got a big concern about Billions that we're going to discuss. All that and more. I'm Clay Travis. I'll kick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was highest rated for maximum refunds, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want this tax season. Go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. Let me bring in uh, Eddie Garcia. Eddie, what's your position on carrots? Uh, not a fan. Yeah, you're right. Especially you raw. decent taste. Uh, not raw at all. Don't want anything to do with that. Uh, amen. What you got for us? 
Well, in the NBA, it was the second last night of the regular season. The Sixers beat the Hawks 121-113. Philadelphia has won a franchise record 15 in a row. Jazz beat up on the Warriors 119-79. 40-point loss for Golden State is the worst under head coach Steve Kerr. Rockets won their league-leading 65th game of the season. They beat the Lakers 105-99. And in a possible playoff preview in the first round of the Eastern Conference, Wizards over the Celtics 113-101. couple of baseball scores. Yankees lose big to the Red Sox 14-1. Boston's 9-1. They've won 9 in a row. It's the best 10-game start in franchise history. Same goes for the Mets, who are also 9-1 and have won 7 straight. They beat the Marlins. 8-6. This report's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Clay, not a surprise, but it is official. Villanova junior guard Jalen Brunson, the consensus NCAA player of the year for the national champion Wildcats, will enter the 2018 NBA draft. Good deal. Uh, we're going to be joined here momentarily by uh, Jason Whitlock, uh, waking up early with us on the West Coast. Uh, but that was Eddie Garcia giving us the update. Um, I thought it was really cool. We talked uh, about the uh, the overall story out there in Los Angeles. Uh, Danny G, you were there in the arena um, for people who are waking up on the West Coast and maybe not have heard this story, or even people waking up late on the East Coast and in other time zones. Tell us the story quickly there of the uh, awesome success of a 32-year-old basketball player who had never played in the NBA before. Yeah, his name is Andre Ingram. Of course, the Lakers already have a a star named Ingram, so don't get confused. But Andre, he um, is not known, Clay, because he spent the past 10 years in the Witness Protection Program, otherwise known as the D-League and now the G-League. He played almost 400 games with the Utah Flash the L.A. Defenders, and the South Bay Lakers. Now, the Lakers have always liked his jump shot. It was the rest of his game that I guess he's been developing over the years. They decided to call him up to the big squad. Uh, A couple days ago, this video went viral of uh, Laker coach Luke Walton welcoming him to the squad, and he was beside himself, as you can imagine. He went through this crazy 10-year ride. A lot of people telling him to give up on his dream. His wife, who he's been with for uh, just over 10 years, stood by him and supported him the entire time. And so this is like a Disney movie, basically, the NBA version of Jim Morris. He suits up for the Lakers, finally. He's at Staples Center. Last night in the first quarter, they call him into the game off the bench. The crowd goes crazy because by now everybody knows the story from the internet. Uh, It was all the buzz prior to the game as well. So he gets in the game. First three he takes, nothing but net. The crowd goes nuts. You would have thought Kobe hit a game winner. And uh, then the first time he gets to the free throw line, the crowd is chanting MVP the same way they used to for Kobe. So it was a really great moment, electric the whole night. He wound up scoring 19 points in his Laker debut. To put that in perspective, that's the fourth best rookie debut. Jerry West had 20 in his Laker debut. So uh, just an amazing story out of the NBA. It is indeed uh, another amazing story. Jason Whitlock walked 10 miles yesterday, literally, um, I believe, because I saw him post his uh, his latest health uh, decisions here. You've turned into a walker. You're like the Forrest Gump uh, of uh, of Los Angeles now, except a black man walking instead of a white man running. Is that uh, is that kind of what you're known as now? I have not driven my car in six months. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm. I'm a man that loves to walk and is trying to uh, never drive his car again. 
So what you live in West LA and you can get to the Fox a lot, but I mean, what's the, how's that changed your life to walk for six months, not have driven your car? Uh, I mean, what's the benefit from your perspective of of deciding to do that? Because you hear lots of people say, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to make more healthy decisions. What was kind of the epiphany for you to decide to do that? You just, you have to be in motion. You, you, your body is made to be in motion. And I was just way too sedentary. And so I, I just said, and, and I have a horrible habit uh, when I drive of, wanting to eat a snack if i'm going on a drive of more than 30 minutes or whatever oh let me get a little bag of chips and eat that on the way well if you take uber they don't let you eat in their car and again if you're walking you're not going to be walking and eating and so one it just helps me just move and walk every day and two it just stops me from eating snacks while i'm in my car yeah, no doubt at all. We're talking to Jason Whitlock. Follow him on Twitter at Whitlock Jason. Many of you uh, enjoy him on the show and have found him on Twitter and obviously watch him on Speak for Yourself. And I watched the clip, and so I wanted to have you on to talk about that. We got several things to get into. But Ray Lewis on your show talking about Odell Beckham Jr. and uh, and his off-the-field lifestyle um, and and the challenges that he's facing and everything else. I texted you after I watched it, and I said, what I look for in television more than anything else is authenticity because so much of television is scripted. And you know this, having done a lot of television, a lot of our listeners won't know. You kind of have an idea what's going to be said. It's a little bit like a play that you've already rehearsed. And so real authenticity is rare on television. And to me, what jumped out about Ray Lewis was whether you agreed or disagreed with him, he was being as authentic as you could possibly be. What was your reaction to what he said about Odell Beckham uh, Jr.? And then also the reaction to his reaction, which obviously spiraled from there. Well, I just thought that Ray was speaking for and representing a point of view that is traditional within the african-american community uh... african-americans uh... in america <laughs> african-americans in america but uh, black people in america are the most religious group in america uh... particularly african-americans thirty five forty and above and, and and we talk about god a lot and we we uh, go to church a lot and have an affinity for the church and that entire experience. And there's a younger group that is becoming far more secular than black people traditionally. And and so I think Ray is speaking authentically for his experience. It's something that uh, touches me as well personally. I'm not as openly religious as Ray, but my experience as a young person growing up in the church because my grandmother and mother insisted upon it, and I'm someone that just has a lot of respect for uh, Christianity and people that lean on the church, particularly it's just been a path out of poverty and surviving poverty uh, for black people, and so I heard Ray in context. I think some people hear Ray and think, 
oh, he's hypocritical because he had problems when he was young and he had that situation in, at the in the Atlanta Super Bowl 20 years ago where uh he he was involved in some capacity in uh, a double murder allegation. Again, he eventually pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice. But some people hear that and think, well, he can't he can't preach to anybody. He can't be a mentor to anybody. And I think just the opposite. I think that that incident, and if you listen to Ray, it changed him. And it made him, it humbled him and made him realize, man, I've gotten away from the teachings and the lifestyle that my mother and my family instilled in me as a child, and that's how I got in that Atlanta situation. And he's seen a lot of young athletes become rich and famous and move away from their foundation and think that, hey, I'm making all this money, I'm in control of everything, I'm untouchable, I can do all these things that are in contradiction to the things that were instilled in me when I was young, and he's just sending out a warning flare to Odell Beckham Jr., who he's very close to, saying, look, man, that's the mistake I made, and that's how I got involved in that Atlanta situation. Don't you make the same mistake. What has Odell Beckham Jr. done off the field that that makes Ray Lewis apprehensive about his future? I mean, because that's the question that I think a lot of people have. So far, other than maybe an Instagram post with a French chick, which, by the way, I'm jealous of. I said, if I told you right now, hey, we're going out drinking with two French Instagram models, I tell, tell uh, you'd be like, I'm sold, you know, like I'm in, what time, where. Uh, but uh, what has he done? Like, what does Ray see that makes him nervous about Odell Beckham Jr. going forward? One, I think he and Odell have a pretty close relationship, and so I'm sure he talks and has seen uh, numerous things in terms of and, and again, I don't. They don't all have to be what he posted on Instagram, but it's like, who is your circle? Who are you running with? If you're running around with Justin Bieber and Justin Timberlake and all these celebrities that have nothing to do with football, you're running around with a Hollywood crowd. You start having Hollywood values, and that's how you end up on Instagram with a French model with what appears to be cocaine and marijuana laying in the bed with you, that right there is a red flag enough. And so I don't know all the details of what has made Ray a concern, but I trust Ray's judgment. He's having the one-on-one personal dealings with Odell and has been for years, and he keeps seeing Odell in the news and so, again, it doesn't have to be that Odell's been arrested for a DUI or things like that. Because, again, with all people, uh, it, it, a million things happen before you get caught. A million different things happen before you're in a limousine with some guys and people get murdered. A, a, a million things that you get away with happen before all that, that people close to you may know. But, hey, you didn't get caught. And so, I, I, I again, I could go through all kinds of situations in, in my life when I was younger, poor decisions that I got away with, and things that my father 
uh, when he was alive and when I was between age 19 and 23 or 24, that he objected to, you know, viciously, like, man, if you keep doing this, you're going to throw your whole future away. And again, none of these things did I ever get caught or get, get in trouble, but my father could see things that I was doing, like, oh, you keep running with your best friend from high school, uh, I know what he's doing. And so if you think you're just going to run around with him and never get touched by that, you're crazy. And so, again, Ray has, has said that he's like a father figure, a mentor to OBJ and a lot of other athletes. And, and it, Dude, you see things going on with your kids uh, that you're close to that, that they think are harmless, but you, you sit there and say to yourself, oh, if Johnny keeps doing that, I know where this is going to lead. There's no doubt. We're talking to uh, Jason Whitlock at Whitlock Jason. Go follow him on Twitter. You can find him there. Uh, you can also watch him on Speak for Yourself on FS1. We're talking about Ray Lewis, talking about Odell Beckham Jr. on their show. Why do you think – so what struck me about Ray Lewis was the authenticity with which he delivered his opinion. Whether or not you agree with his opinion is certainly uh, something that you can, as reasonable people, disagree on. But one thing that struck me that was so rare and so authentic about what he was saying was the degree to which he uh, embraced his religious faith. As you said uh, early in this interview, uh, black men and women in this country are among the most, if not the most, religious in the country, yet you rarely hear about religion intersecting with the world of sports in any kind of substantial way like Ray Lewis was talking uh, that's particularly surprising to me because if you think about the intersection of politics and sports, which happens all the time, the leader of the civil rights movement was, in all intents and purposes, the black church. Why do you think uh, in this so, so-called so woke era, the black church is not involved at all and seeing somebody like Ray Lewis talk about the religious faith and influence is so not incorporated within our national discourse? Well... In the aftermath of the 1960s civil rights movement, uh, you know, the government took some measures to try to make sure that the black church would become less politicized. There's a tax code or, or break, you get, or not break, but penalty, if your church becomes too political. Now they can take away your tax exemption. Uh, that law was installed shortly after uh, Dr. King uh, was assassinated or shortly after the civil rights movement. And so so that's one thing. But then the other thing is, in my view, and I think this is indisputable, as the world and the media have become, as American culture, particularly on the left and the media, have become more secular, uh, there's just a great animosity towards religion uh, by the left. And so, and, and I see uh, people trying to move African Americans away from religion. And it's a political move. The, the, the Republican Party, the right wing, is more religious than the Democratic Party. That did not always, be, that used to not always be the case. But as we moved on in America, the Republican Party is more religious, and the Democratic Party is less religious and more secular. 
and that if black people uh, stood on their religious values, they would start second guessing a lot of the moves the Democratic Party uh, does. But if you move black people away from religion and make political ideology the religion, liberalism is become black people's religion, particularly among the youth, that's more important than your religious convictions. And and so if you this is a conversation me and my mom have all the time and just remember again I want to be clear I'm not political in terms of I've never voted I've never supported any political party I don't like politics but I have asked my mother who's very religious but very beholden to the Democratic Party I just keep I, I ask her where's God in what they're doing, what their policies, where are the religious people uh, who, because again, take Al Sharpton, he's allegedly a religious figure, but religion isn't first with Al Sharpton. Politics are, and racial politics are. And, And so I've seen the Democratic Party move away, and liberals move away from religion, and I ask black people all the time, why are we good with that? Our history is so defined by our religious belief, and through helping us get through this struggle, why are we so okay with a party that has moved away from religion and has a hostility towards religion? Um, I, I can't remember your original question, what got me here, but that's what Ray reflects, and I think Ray has been getting a lot of backlash. And again, I don't think Ray is all that political, but he did make the choice of meeting with Donald Trump, and that has really irritated people on the left. And so he's being savaged. Come back with you on the flip side. we got to take a break, but I want to ask you about billions. Uh, we'll talk with Whitlock, uh, Jason Whitlock, at Whitlock Jason on Twitter. One more segment next, Wednesday edition. I'll kick the coverage. Rolling here on a spectacular morning in April. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. I encourage you guys to watch this guy on television. Speak for yourself. Uh, we discussed in the last segment the Ray Lewis interview. Also had a great essay talking about Colin Kaepernick and, in particular, the Kaepernicks. Uh, We're talking to Jason Whitlock. Follow him on Twitter at WhitlockJason. I just tweeted out his Twitter handle if you want to grab him and follow him there. Uh, I'm going to tee you up here because I didn't know about this. Somehow I missed what Colin Kaepernick was wearing, Jason, to all of his different depositions. He wore a Kunta Kente shirt to his deposition with the Houston Texans. He wore a a Slave Patrol T-shirt to his deposition with the uh, Baltimore Ravens. When you hear that, uh, of what Colin Kaepernick is wearing to these legal proceedings, what's your thoughts? That he's just trolling these guys. And that uh, getting back into the NFL isn't his real agenda. Remaining a martyr and a symbol of victimhood and oppression is his real agenda. Uh, let's go right to another agenda. You and I both love the television show Billions. Uh, we were talking about this on the phone the other night. You've gotten apprehensive that the show may be going off the rails. I'm still holding on. I still have optimism for season three. 
Uh, first of all, for people who haven't watched, I would encourage everybody out there, season one and two, I think Whitlock and I would both agree, of Billions is really entertaining and exhilarating television, fun to watch. What is your nervousness about season three so far? And if you haven't watched season three yet, turn it down the radio for just a sec if you don't want a spoiler. I just, I'm concerned that it's going to betray the foundation that it laid. I thought between Bobby Axelrod and Chuck Rhodes, Axelrod the billionaire and Chuck Rhodes the uh, U.S. attorney that's prosecuting the or trying to bring down this billionaire, there, there was kind of equality in how screwed up or unethical each were. And that you kind of had a, one one episode, you might be rooting for Bobby, then events would happen, you'd be rooting for Chuck. You, you just couldn't figure out whose side to be on. This year, they seem to be pivoting really hard. Bobby Axelrod, for the first two seasons, very committed to his wife and family, the, the billionaire guy is, and that was kind of a unique twist. You figured it was a billionaire and he would have no ethics as it related to his wife and his marriage. Uh, but this year, all of a sudden, they're divorced. And the reasons for the divorce aren't strong enough, uh, in my view, uh, given how committed they showed him the first two years. And and then I think on the prosecutor side, on the law enforcement side, they have this cartoonish uh, attorney general who is now Chuck Rhodes' boss, and this cartoonish uh, attorney general seems to be a far right-wing idiot, which I, I don't have a problem with. You, you, could, you can show that, but he's putting Chuck Rhodes in a position where you become very much more sympathetic to Chuck Rhodes, the U.S. attorney, and, and Chuck is looking more and more and more like the white knight, the good guy in this, and they're turning this into good guys versus bad guys. And... And I, I, I hipped you to a couple of things. They shouted out, which I have no problem with, but they had they name dropped the rapper uh, Killer Mike twice in the show for no reason. And if you guys remember Killer Mike, uh, a gangster rapper who uh, became Bernie Sanders' best friend and surrogate. <laughs> during... By the way, I'd watch that show, Bernie and a gangster rapper just hanging out, <laughs> yeah. having conversations. I don't know what they talk about, but I'd watch it. Yeah, but in real life, Killer Mike was one of his top black surrogates. And I, the show just keeps mentioning Killer Mike twice for no reason. I was like, oh, that's a hat tip to the far left. And I just see the show moving that way and becoming more about the resistance and anti-Trump than what they had been the previous two years. Yeah, we got to close out the show here, but you watch the show. You tell me whether you agree with me or Jason Whitlock at Whitlock Jason on Twitter. Thank you all for hanging. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. We got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!